This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Hey, family. Up next is an interview I did with Carla Hall, top chef, extraordinaire, but more than being a, a, a person that cooks and, and brings joy into the world through her food, Carla Hall is a woman that has lived and she has done some things that is just amazing. She helps people. Every I mean, she's just an incredible human being. Uh, she's one of my favorite people in the whole world. But that's not what uh, you're going to get out of this interview. You'll get a lot of that because uh, I do share that. Uh, but she also gives us some insight on the heels of where we are right now in this country about how she was triggered by the murder of George Floyd and, and everything that transpired after that. And I think is very insightful as we are all searching for answers and looking towards the future to, to heal and to, to do some things differently. Um, Carla Hall is one of those people that are going to help put, put things back together. That's who I see her as. All right. Up next, my interview with Carla Hall. Um, check me out on Twitter at Karen Hunter. Follow me actually, and use the hashtag podcast and I'll search for your comments and, um, and your questions, and I'll respond to you because that's my safe space. Up next, Carla Hall. I hope you enjoy. My card partner is here. Let me welcome to the show. You know her as a celebrity chef, but I know her as the baddest space player this side of the Atlantic and the Pacific. Let me welcome the one and only Carla Hall. Hello. Hello. What? That was the best entrance ever. Because playing cards with you is a is an experience. Girl, I had somebody call me up today and challenge me. They're like, when this COVID-19 is over, I heard you can play cards. I'm gonna, I was like, you don't want none of this. You don't want none of this, Carla Hall. You need, and let me tell you, Carla's nastier than I am. She is, oh my goodness. Whew, I thought, I, I looked across the table. I was like, uh-oh. Oh, it's about to go, it's, mm, okay. Thank you for that. All right, how are you doing, by the way? How, how are you and your family and everyone? How's your I mom? Mean, we're, we're good. We're good. This, you know, I've had this, um, you know, in terms of COVID and being at home after traveling so much, um, it's been great to be back in D.C. and to be in my house. And I'm dating, I say I'm dating my husband, my house, my neighborhood, my yard, you know, just to, just to physically be here. Um, but, but I'm here for all of this. I mean, the protest and everything. But, yeah. But interestingly enough, I, I was arrested about 20 years ago in this city. And all of this. And I tell, I tell that story, but I tell it from the perspective of, like, a reporter. You know how you, something happens to you and you just tell it as, or it's humorous and you realize you're telling it because there's so much um, – uh, coping mechanism behind you telling the story and self-preservation and all of that. But seeing those kids, um, those students from Spelman and Morehouse um, get yanked from their cars and all of that, all of those feelings that ever since then, I didn't even think about it until today. I was so sad and on the verge of tears. And I'm like, what is this? And it was because I was remembering when I was stopped and arrested and taken out of my car and held up behind the trunk of a car and the handcuffs on my uh, hands, my wrists. And, you know, and it's traumatic and scary. And all of those feelings came rushing back. What happened 20 years ago? What were you doing? Where were you? I was driving up Georgia Avenue 
and I think it was 96. I can't remember the year. It was um, the city was shutting down because there was a big tornado that was supposed to come through. So they, there was an emergency um, city and shut down. And I just left Thompson Hospitality um, for a job. And, um, and I was driving really closely behind an, uh, a big truck, so I couldn't see the light. So I was going through the light really slowly, though, downtown. And then all of a sudden I hear, whoo, and I'm like, oh, my God, what was I doing? And then he pulls me over, and he says, license and registration. I give, I give him my license and registration. He looks at it, he goes back to the car. And then he comes back and saying, your license is expired. Get out of the car. Hmm. And I, I, and this is at a time when I was working so much. And, you know, that was one of those pieces of mail that I probably missed because, you know, you're just so busy working 24-7. And I was like, what? And the next, it was a, it was a cop from the Bureau of Engraving. And, um, and he had a ride-along, a woman from Texas. And um, the next thing I knew, there were like five cars, five patrol cars, sirens and everything. I am, I have my hands behind my back at the trunk, handcuffed. And and I, I mean, when I talk about it, and even now, and it's funny because I talked about this on the show, Girlfriends Check-In, but I realized, and I think the memory came back. Even now I get a little choked up because I'm remembering the fear and I remember saying to the female cop, and I, and I said, what if I was to freak out? I mean, like, I'm actually telling her what's in my head. Like, what if I was to freak out right now? Like, I just wanted to collapse. And, like, all of my muscles just felt weak, like they couldn't hold me up. Like, what is happening? And she turns to me and she says, that would not be good for you. Wow. And I went on to jail and they were shutting down the city, which meant that if I, and it was a Friday, if I went there and got booked, I was there until Monday. And they, they're like, what hand do you write with? And I said, I'm right-handed. So they, they handcuffed my left hand to the wall. And, um, and it was, it was just scary. And I was just there, you know? Um, and I don't think, anybody can appreciate what that feels like unless you've gone through it, you know? This podcast is brought to you by CarShield. With all the uncertainty in the world right now, everyone's top priority is safety. And protecting your vehicle is crucial, whether you're on the front lines as an essential worker, out there protesting, or even making trips to the store. We rely on our cars a lot. And I actually want us to get out of debt. So hold on to your cars, pay off your car. But that also means you're going to need extended coverage. So go to CarShield. CarShield takes the worry away from car repairs. They have affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for cover repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. And the people at CarShield understand payment flexibility. That's a must. Monthly payments can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitments. CarShield gives you options others won't. You can choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped more than a million customers, so you drive with confidence and peace of mind knowing you got covered by America's number one auto protection company. 
For as low as $99 a month, you can keep your family safe and save thousands for a covered repair. Give them a call, 800-CAR-6000, mention code KAREN, or visit carshield.com. Use code KAREN, K-A-R-E-N, to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code KAREN. A deductible may apply. Hmm. So you're in D.C. at the epicenter where people were uh, tear gassed and moved along so that the president could have a photo op in front of a church with an upside down Bible, which I think is poetic on so many levels. Um, Are you close enough to see the the people gathering? Are you um, in a space where you can see them outside of watching it on television? No, I am in Upper Northwest, so... um... I mean, not up and down west like 16th Street. Let me let 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 me just state the record for that. <laughs> Those of you who live in D.C., you'll know what that means. But I'm in, uh, I'm in Tacoma, D.C. So um, downtown is about um, 20 minutes for me. So I I can't see them. The food the food industry um, of which you know I'm I'm watching Top Chef. Uh, I'm I'm rooting for uh, my my Haitian brother to win. I don't know what's going to happen, but he's amazing. Uh, Gregory, uh, I rooted for you. You were the first black woman that I saw go as far on Top Chef. I love these cooking shows, but I'm also watching them sad because a lot of these businesses, you know, are, are out of business right now because of COVID-19. Um, what are you hearing in your industry? Cause I know you're, you're, you know, you cater and you do a lot of things, but this is your, this is your space. What's happening. Right. Right. Um, there, there's a lot that's happening. And, and one of the things that's happening in, in D.C., where you hear, see the protesters and, and restaurants are being, you know, glasses smashed, glass smashed and windows and all of that. But the one thing that I hear the owner saying is this is just glass. It is not a life. I can rebuild this. And even though and why that was that is so powerful, because even though they have been hit with not having business for the last two months, and this on top of that, and they're still saying it's okay. You know, and, and, and you talked about protesting, and I feel like in a very quiet way, whether, whether you are out there on the streets and pounding the pavements, it is a form of your a protest to say, you know, I am okay with this happening. I talked to Michael Simon this morning, and, and same thing with his restaurants. And, and they're like, you know, if this is for the cause and to further this cause, so um, it's, it's hard, and what's so hard is that we're saying, okay, everybody wants to go back to work. Everybody wants to open up their restaurants, you know, but you have to follow these guidelines and, you know, six feet, you know, in, in terms of spacing their tables out or, or outdoor space. Everybody doesn't have outdoor space. By, by doing the six-foot distancing, now you've cut your restaurant not even to a third, probably a quarter, but you have to have 100% of your staff back. The numbers do not work. They don't add up. The margins are so small that if you're saying, oh, yeah, we want to get back to work, people want to get back, we want to go out to eat. The people who are saying, yeah, we want to go out to eat have no idea the cost that it, that it takes to have them come to that restaurant unless they have figured out how to make up 75% of the business that wow. they can't take. You know, it, it's, it's just, it's a fighting battle. That's why some restaurants aren't opening. And so for your listeners and you're wondering why everybody's not opening, they can't afford to open. 100% of your staff and only 25% of your 
um, your revenue, that that's a 75% loss to even turning on the light. What, uh, Thank you so much for everything that you said. This is Laurie, and I've, I've just been, I was so moved by your story about your arrest um, 20 years ago and the fact that it still has that emotional resonance uh, with you. And, and a lot of times you, you think time cures a lot of things, and really when it comes down to the heart of it, we can be so easily um, put back in that place and put back in that moment. Um, and as I'm hearing you now and I'm thinking about this, this current trauma that's being uh, endured by black members of the restaurant and hospitality industry, are there conversations or, or what are the conversations that are happening within those spaces that speak to what the future might look like? I, I have friends mm-hmm. who are in this industry, and, and as you just said, they break down the numbers. It literally makes – they lose money by turning on the lights. And then if you get certain loans or benefit programs, you have to commit to rehiring the same number of people that you had before, but I can't physically sustain the same number of people I had before because I can't have the same number of clients and customers as I had before. What are the conversations within the black sectors of this of this industry as to what the future looks like? What are ways that black patrons can help provide either a lifeline or help to connect with them in different ways? I mean, is everyone moving into catering? Are we, what are what are some of those conversations look like as people re envision and reimagine what the future might look like? I mean, we have we have always catered, so that that's where you find a lot of black people. Black people catered because the overhead was less. So I know there are friends who are catering. They're doing private chefing. They are um, doing delivery. It's different for everybody, but at the but I think that we're going to lose a lot of our black restaurants. And I want to be clear, yeah. and I want to be so clear here because. When people see these restaurants going under um, and some of these long-term, long-time soul food restaurants, so there, there was a restaurant in Nashville, it's escaping my, uh, the name is escaping me right now, and they were going under, you know, gift cards, things like that, you know, pay, buy a meal and send it to somebody, even if you're not in the same town. But you have to ask yourself as a black person, were you patronizing them before? Because so often we're not going to our own restaurants. And so often we are expecting an experience in our restaurants, not saying that we can't get it, but an experience and where it is and and all the drinks and the this and the that, that we don't have the money and the wherewithal as a a whole to to give our customers. And so Mm. we are wanting a white experience sometimes in a black restaurant and and it's not because Ooh. the person doesn't want to give it to you, but they don't have the loans aren't approved to give them that experience. And by the time they move out of that space, then, you know, and to go across the tracks or wherever, they can't find space. So wow. there's so much, there's so much unpacking to, to do and to say just in that alone. So um, will we lose them? Uh, and, and, it's, it's, it's this whole thing about, like, what does soul food mean? So then when we go to our black restaurants, we want them to give them this soul food, the, the food that we want to eat on the DL just with each other and not even eat at those other restaurants. I'm like, ah! Okay, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. But there's just so much for me to unpack in all of that, right? It's yeah. easy to say we're going to patronize uh, our restaurants, and where are they, and get so mad. But were you patronizing them before? You know, I still and I and I, I still have people say, Oh man, 
I'm going to come to your restaurant. I'm sorry I didn't make it. I'm like, um, it's been closed for two years. <laughs> right. Where were you two years ago? Yeah. Before the pandemic. So, so I, but I think Larie's raising something that we need to start to, because asking the question helps us find the answers. That's right. After, after there's no longer a pandemic, when uh, the, the, the ashes are, are dry, are, are cooling off from, from this civil unrest that we're currently under. We need to start to look at when we rebuild our neighborhoods and our communities, what kinds of food sources, grocery stores, because I know that this is important. We're finding now um, what lack looks like when we don't, food desert is not even the answer. You know, are we going to start to build maybe greenhouses in our neighborhood with fruits and vegetables so that we can shop in our own neighborhoods? Who's going to, like, let's start heading that up. Maybe our grocery stores need to be owned by us. My dad had a grocery store in Newark. So I know what that looks like to have a corner store that is serving a community that's open 24, not 24 hours every day, even on Christmas to serve the community. I know what that looks like to come from that community and serve that community. Is that something that we should be reimagining or, or going back to? Cause that's, that's our foundings. I think so. I think that you bring up a really good point um, and not just the stores, but, what about the black farmers? There are plenty of black farmers, even in this area. What about them? Um, because when you close the restaurant, that affects all of the purveyors. That affects all mm. of the farmers. That affects all of the grocers that you were working with. So it's not just the restaurant, right? Um, so I, th- I think it's a time to reimagine and let all of us do that. Like envision what do you want? What does our community look like? You know, um, I, I think that having our own stores, it's, it's no small feat to have a grocery store. So hats off to your dad. Um, because, I mean, think about bringing in all of the things and, and, and also supporting your stores. And just it's, it's like when you see art and there's beautiful art on the walls um, and somebody not defacing it with a tag mark, Right. So if you have these stores in our neighborhood, respect them and respect the people so that they can grow with the community because they're there for you. You know, mm-hmm. so it's all of that. What else are you doing? I know you did a Amazon Live uh, last month. Uh, you're keeping really busy during a pandemic. Carla Hall, you're everywhere. Oh, I'm hustling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But that's what, I mean, I, I literally, when I say literally, I literally go out and find a job. I mean, I have a really great team. And, um, you know, we go out and we create opportunities and we, we design the opportunity. And then we go out and we present the opportunity to somebody who doesn't even realize they may need this thing that we are selling them. And that's how I've gotten a lot of stuff. And, and that's what we need to do in our neighborhoods. It's like create our own opportunities because frustration is the ability to do work. It's one thing to be frustrated, but if you can turn that into something where you pivot, there is the power of the pivot. And I think right now, this is the time. So I'm pivoting. And um, right now, you, you well, your, your people who are listening, they can't see it, but I have a basement apartment, small, but I've created this studio that I'm doing all of these cooking demos 
And once it was set up, I'm like, okay, let me call this brand to see if they need content. Because initially, so many people were wanting content, but it was my time. I was exhausted. I was working more from home when everything was supposed to be sort of shutting down and getting quiet so that I could be with my thoughts and be creative that, you know, I was a little initially resentful. And then I was like, wait a minute, I get to do this. I am grateful that I get to do my craft at home and create an opportunity for myself. So I had to check myself. Um, so I did a lot of Amazon lives. I did a couple with Billy Porter. I did one for, um, Gen Youth, uh, we were trying to raise money for kids and um, the school lunches because that's a huge issue. I've been using my platform for all of the fundraisers and nonprofits that I work with just to, you know, put things out there in a, um, in a, in a constructive way, you know, for social media. Let's t- talk about your, the, the foundations and the people that you work with so we can also support them. Who, who can we help support and bring light to? Well, Gen Youth, um, I mean, 53 million students were out of school. And so 30 million of those 53 million depend on school lunch. And that means that the, all of these kids, you know, are like, what are they going to do? So all of those lunch workers, those professional uh, nutritionists, they were still working trying to get food to these kids. And so we were raising money to not only get the food because the the schools had the food, but to put them into coolers and uh, to go containers so that the students could come and pick up their lunches. The summertime, summertime is, is a danger time because they still need the food, but we've extended that. Right. So there's that, um, the pajama program, kids who are in foster care and it's books and pajamas to make them feel safe you know, with a a regular sleeping schedule and routine, that more than ever. I mean, adults need that too. You know, just the feeling of being safe, that's the pajama program. And then the other organization is Helen Keller International. And they're, um, even though a lot of their programs are in Africa and Asia, just here in terms of uh, their side programs for glasses and um, women uh, just... um, starting their own businesses and realizing they're the backbones in our community. So those are, those are three that I do a lot with and 4-H. I mean, I could go on and on and on because I have this platform. Like, what am I going to use it for? What am I going to do with it? This is why we're here. Carla Hall's soul food every day in celebration is her late last latest cookbook. Are you, are you working on another one? There we go. Carla Hall's soul food. What else? I know you're working on another. There you go. That's a beautiful book. It's and, and let me tell you, the recipes are amazing. What are you cooking right now? What's what's you what's your what? go-to? Okay, right now, I'm actually about to do a baked uh, smothered chicken. Like mm. it's in the oven, it's so good. Um, I'm making lots of grains, lots of fish. You know, you can find fresh ingredients, people. I'm just saying, the frozen stuff may be gone, but there's a lot of fresh stuff. <laughs> In the grocery stores. Um, so I am working on a children's book. I am working on designing a line of a line of fabrics and uh, design designing. Uh, what do you call? It? Well, they're, they're not just fabrics; it's patterns. I've been working on Textiles. these patterns. Mm. Thank you. Textiles. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Lorie has words. um, She has a lot of words. 
Yeah, you have a lot of work. I love your work. I love your earrings, too. Those are amazing. Oh, so I've been Appreciate doing that. I wanted to do a food line, but because the food chain is breaking down, it doesn't seem possible. So I, mm. again, had to shift and pivot and see what else. But I'm finding that just having a time of just a respite is, is, having, is, is, is having a positive effect on my creativity. You know, um, yeah. But, you know, mm. I still have a heavy heart with all that's going on right now. When you think about, you mentioned the, the uh, food supply chain. What are your predictions about, you know, it's not that you're speaking for all of the food supply chains out there, but based on your, your expertise and your instincts, what do you predict is going to be happening with the food supply chain? I think that you probably won't see a lot of new brands unless they were already in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, because they investors are there's so much uncertainty that investors aren't going to go in and say yes i'm going to push that through because you just don't know what's going to happen i think that people are going to start to eat more um vegetables and grains and stuff as the meat supply tightens up i i I believe that to be the case that's not necessarily a bad thing and um i think that we're going to see we're probably going to see some innovation in um, direct-to-consumer. We were already seeing some of that, but that may shift and change. I think as people have been cooking at home, there may be some products that come out of that that people want to see because now they're closer to um, just what it means to be cooking every day. So some will be Mm -hmm. like, I'm done. I'm not cooking again. Some are like, oh, I actually do this well. So I would like to see blah, 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 blah. And I think there's going to be a lot of products. And we were already seeing it. I think some of the products that we started to see were um, grab and go, you know, things in in the refrigerator section, like meal kits and stuff like that. Some meals that you can just grab. I think that, um, Grocery stores have been really, really great. So people have been dating their grocery stores, and I think that that is not going to change. And so, so the the products that were already in the pipeline will do really well. But I think that we are going to continue to order a lot of things at home. And so, what does that mean uh, for fresh and frozen products? Frozen is expensive to ship, so maybe fresh. Mm. This I, I see an opportunity. If y'all are listening people out there there's an opportunity uh carla hall you of course have an open seat at our table and i can't wait to have you back again folks get her cookbook because y'all are home cooking carla hall's soul food is the name of it the recipes are amazing they are full of love she's full of love one of the best people i ever met in my entire life and a damn good card player uh i can't wait for COVID 19 to be over we have a card date we have a card date. It's so great to talk to you both. Thank you, Karen, for having me. Thank you. Carla Hall, follow Thank her you. too. At Carla Hall. 